Good morning, New Heights. Welcome back to our series on the story of God, where we're going to go through the entire Bible. And last week, Lee walked us through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And we're going to continue this morning right where he left off. But before we do that, let's recap where we've been so far in the story, okay? The triune, infinite creator God of the universe created the world and everything in it. He created spiritual beings and he created physical beings and he wanted us to rule with him together. He gave us work to do in the garden with him. But something happened though. One of those spiritual beings, the devil, okay, Satan, he convinced us to join his rebellion, his spiritual rebellion against God and we sinned. In Genesis chapter three, it says, uh, when, when man sinned in Genesis chapter six, God says every part of man's heart is completely evil. So there's one righteous man, Noah. I'm going to hit the reset button. Okay, I'm going to start over with him. And when Noah and his family stepped off the ark, God said, um, hey, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So mankind was fruitful and multiplied, but they would not fill the earth. In Genesis 11, they say, hey, come, let's, let's not be scattered. Let's come together and let's make a great name for ourselves. Let's make our own story. And they disobeyed God. And so God does something incredible. He comes down at the Tower of Babel and he confuses all their languages. And so the, the thing is though, is God has promised a redeemer to come, but now there's a problem, right? Now we have, it says in Acts 10, uh, I'm sorry, in Genesis 10, there are 70 nations at that point on the earth. So how is God gonna reach them, right? He's promised this redeemer. So in Genesis 12, we get a hint. Here's what happened. God picks one man, Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And you guys, you're going to be my chosen people. And this is the whole Old Testament model of how he's going to reach the world. God says, Israel, I'm going to bless you with incredible things. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bless your socks off so that all the surrounding nations, when they see you as my people, they will know I'm the one true God. And so we get to see this all throughout the Old Testament. What does God bless them with? The law, the prophets, the promised land, the temple, blessings upon blessings. But there's one problem, though. Over and over, just like Adam, Israel was sinners, just like us. And so what did God do? He, uh, Israel sinned in two ways, okay? They did not reach the nations, and they, did not, they started worshiping other gods. They didn't even worship the true God. And so God raised up these other nations like Persia and Babylon to, to capture them and destroy Jerusalem and the Jews were scattered throughout the earth. But eventually from this remnant becomes the hero, Jesus. We learned about this last week, the chosen one. Jesus was in the royal lineage. He was the promised king to come and to redeem. And what do we get to see from Jesus? He had authority over sickness and death. He had authority over the universe. He showed his power over demons. He walked on water. He called storms. And he showed he was absolute God. He wasn't just king. He was God in the flesh. But he was issuing something new. His, this new kingdom would be different. Even though he had absolute might and authority, what did he do? He was merciful and compassionate. He led his followers and said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must be small. You got to be humble. I want you to serve you have to sacrifice. And so that's what Jesus did. He, we, we follow his example as our leader. And so eventually he lives this perfect life and he lays it down. And the authorities at the time murder him and put him to a torturous death. Three days later, he would rise again. 
death is not going to stop God's plan. Isn't that awesome? Death is something too small to stop God's plan. And so he's resurrected. And here's what's really cool. He spends 40 days on the earth with the disciples. I think a lot of people think like Jesus was resurrected and then see ya. Like he spent 40 days on the planet talking to all these people, teaching, doing all these things. And during that time, uh, people record his life and resurrection. And, and after the resurrection, there's these, these four books in the New Testament we call the Gospels. Four different guys wrote down the story of Jesus and his life, death, resurrection, and what happened. One of those guys was a guy, as best we can tell, who grew up in Turkey. His name was Luke. He was not like the other disciples. He was not a Jewish uh, follower of Jesus. He was a Gentile doctor. In Colossians, Paul calls him the physician. So you've got this doctor guy who hears about Jesus. So what does he do? He investigates, is this really true? What all these people are saying. And so he interviews hundreds and hundreds of people who met Jesus. He writes it all down in the book of Luke, becomes a bestseller, okay? And then he's like, okay, that's not enough. I'm gonna do part two, okay? I'm gonna write down what happened after Jesus ascended in heaven. And that book is called, we call the book of Acts, Acts for short, okay? And uh, it's really the Acts of the Apostles through the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the long name. But the book of Acts is so important for us to study. It's kind of like um, the 23andMe of scripture, okay? Has anyone ever done any of those tests before? Anybody? Some of you people? Okay, some people are like, I don't know. I guess they got my DNA. I don't know. If you don't know what 23andMe is, okay, what you do is you pay this company. They send you a box in the mail. You get a test tube. You spit in the test tube. You mail it back to them. And the little bits of your DNA, they, they process all of it. And then they get to learn all this cool stuff about yourself. You get a report of your genotype, okay, like six weeks later. And you get to find out all sorts of cool things. It's like, oh my gosh, I have red hair. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm part Chickasaw, Native American. That's so cool. Oh, oh my gosh, that's why I get that rash. Okay, like you get to find out all sorts of stuff about you. And what's funny is Lee Epstein and I realized when we started traveling and visiting our global workers, we started talking about 23andMe and we realized the United States of America is the only place that this business works. Did you know that for real? Like we're in Albania and we tell the Albanians and they're like, why do I need to take tests? I'm Albanian. You know, like, I know everyone in the world knows who they are and where they come from, but the, the U.S. is this huge, diverse melting pot from all these different backgrounds. We don't know who we are and where we come from, and I think that's a great picture of why studying the book of Acts is so important, because there's so many problems that Christians have, and so many things they don't understand is because we don't know where we come from. And that's why studying the Bible and studying church history and studying the book of Acts is so important, okay? New Heights, we're going to dive in the book of Acts. I'm going to try to cover the whole thing as best I can, and uh, we're going to see where we come from. Can we do that? Okay, let's open your Bible to the book of Acts. Open up your app. Like I said, Jesus spent 40 days on the planet with his disciples. He's visiting all these different people. And in the beginning, starting in verse 4 of chapter 1 of Acts, we hear this, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus promised this, John chapter 15, up in uh, the upper room, his high priestly prayer, he promised that this would happen. Verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? The disciples still don't get it. 
They still don't get it. They're like, Jesus, are you going to like cause war and kick out the Romans now? And Jesus is like, guys, you don't get my kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom. And so he says, it's not for you to know, verse seven, the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. I think this is a good little footnote for us because so many Christians spend way too much time on this end time stuff, okay? When is the end times? When is gonna happen? What's the mark of the beast? All this, you know, is it a vaccine? All these crazy things, okay? What does Jesus say? Hey, it's not for you to know, so don't worry about it. Trust Jesus, don't worry about what's gonna happen. But then he says this, this is one of the biggest promises he gives, okay? And this is his last words before he ascends to heaven. What does he say? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says in this passage, we're going to receive power. Okay, that Greek word is dunamis, and that's where we get our word for dynamite. Okay, this is serious explosive power. God is going to give us incredible power. He's promised that it's coming, but what does that mean? Who, it comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We'll see that in just a second. But he says in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses. That is what Christ has called each of his followers to do. You're to be a witness. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a witness? A few years ago, I was driving on Weddington. There was a, I was right at the light and there was a serious accident that happened right in front of me. And I'm not one of those bystander apathy people, okay? I wanna get something. So I pull out my phone, 911. I was actually kind of excited I get to call 911, you know? And I called them and I said, hey, there's an accident. I report everything that happened, you know? Everyone was safe, fine, like no one was hurt. So I'm like, okay, no big deal. So I just drove around the accident and went on my way. Two weeks later, I get a phone call. And uh, I said, hello. She said, hello, um, is this Mr. Allen? I said, yes. She said, this is uh, Debbie with the Washington County Prosecutor's Office. And I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Uh, and she's like, uh, I'm calling you because you're being summoned as a witness in a drunk driving case. And I'm like, like on the movies? Like I'm going to take the stand? And I was like so excited. Like, what do I wear? Um, and I was like, am I going to be sworn in? Can I bring my own Bible? You know? Uh, and and I was just thinking, and I was like, she told me the time and all the details and what I need to do. And I was like, Debbie, what do I say? And she said, Mr. Allen, I'll never forget this. She said, you're a witness. Just tell us what you saw. Just tell them what they saw. That's what Jesus has told all of us to do. We're to be witnesses. What does it mean to be? I think Christians complicate evangelism and talking about God so much. And Jesus just says, I want you to tell people what I've done in your life. That's it. Be a witness. Just tell them what I've done. Do you know what's so cool about being a witness? No one can argue with you. You're just telling what you saw. That's it. And that's what Christ has told us to do. You are to be my witnesses. Where does he say we will be his witnesses? He tells us. He lines it out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay. Now, here's something really important to consider about this passage. I have heard so many missions sermons as the missions pastor, okay, on this very subject. And this is what people say, okay, Jesus said we need to reach Jerusalem. So we need to reach our Jerusalem, kind of like this picture here. We need to reach our Jerusalem, like our hometown, right? Fayetteville, okay? Then we need to reach our Judea and Samaria. So that's probably like... Alma, okay? And then we, need, we can try to reach the ends of the earth. And that's probably Miami. 
Miami, Florida, not Oklahoma, okay? And so we like to structure this like strategy, but guys, hear me, this is totally wrong. This is totally wrong. Jesus is being very specific in this passage, okay? Why does he say, reach Jerusalem? A lot of people think Jerusalem is their hometown. Jerusalem is not the disciples' hometown. Where are they from? They're from Galilee, okay? They are a bunch of like redneck, country bumpkin fishermen guys. Galilee is 120 miles north. When Jesus is crucified, do you know where they all go? They go back home to Galilee. They don't stick around there. And so Jesus, that's why he tells them, you have to stay here. He commands them in verse four, you have to stay in Jerusalem. Why does he tell them to say that? It's dangerous. What happened 40 days before this moment? The political leaders and the religious leaders executed Jesus publicly. And Jesus tells them to stay there. Why? It's because this was the most strategic place in the world for this moment to happen. You see, ancient Jews, like after Persia and Babylon, the Jews were scattered everywhere, okay? There was no nation of Israel as a, as a government anymore. This is the diaspora, okay? The Jews are scattered all over the place. And so in ancient times, during the Roman Empire, Jews would travel on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the holy holidays, these high festivals. And the biggest one was Passover. So they would come to Jerusalem for Passover, okay? They would stay in Jerusalem for about a month and a half till the last holiday, which was called the first feasts. And then they would go home. And so the first feast was 50 days after Passover. So they called it just the name 50 in Greek. It's Pentecost. Okay. So that's the last festival. And then they would all go home. And so if you're a Jew from Egypt, where do you go? You go to Jerusalem for the festivals. If you're from Persia, if you're from Rome, if you're a Jew living in Rome, you went to Jerusalem for these festivals. And so it says in Acts 2 that all people of all nations under heaven were there in Jerusalem. Jesus says, hey, I want you to go to the most dangerous and the most strategic place. That's where he commands them to stay. And so what happens? We get to see in Acts 2 what happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind rushing. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. New Heights, did you catch it? The main character of the book of Acts just arrived. The Holy Spirit, God's presence came to earth at this very moment and dwelled inside the followers of Jesus. We will see the Holy Spirit. It's the main character of the book of Acts. It will go on. The name Holy Spirit will be mentioned 56 times in the book of Acts. This is a story about the book of Acts. And so Christians are always asking, man, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Let's watch this video from the Bible Project. and It'll give us an idea. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you gotta clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. 
Energy, how so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right, wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. (sighs) So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. So just like in the video, God now dwells inside of those who are born again followers of Jesus. And I I love that picture. Like in the Old Testament, we get to see God's presence in the temple and in the tabernacle by this pillar of fire. So God shows us, hey, the pillar of fire is resting on you. You are a temple of God, of the Holy Spirit. And so what's really fascinating is like pretty much ever since this moment, Christians have like thought about, about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And the thing is, is in the Christian life, there, there are a lot of things that are kind of hard to reconcile with one another. And so Christians, you know, like the sovereignty of God and free will of man, like there's things that are hard to really get. So what Christians do is they love to just be in ditches, okay? It's easy to just get in this extreme ditch because then I don't have to think very hard. Okay, I don't have to really process what God is doing. And so especially with the Holy Spirit, there are two major dishes that Christians fall in. And and the first one, this extreme ditch, the Holy Spirit is like the crazy uncle that no one talks about. Okay, if we just lock him in the closet and pretend he's not there, maybe the Holy Spirit will go away. Okay, 
we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't want to acknowledge him, that he has power in our lives. That kind of weirds us out. So we're just going to leave him there. And because of that, this ditches Holy Trinity becomes Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And there's no power in their lives, okay? Now, the other ditch is just as bad. This ditch, in 1 Corinthians, it says that the Spirit gives us gifts, okay? And in this ditch, they love the gifts more than the giver. In this ditch, the gifts in the Holy Spirit is everything. All they care about is receiving gifts. That's all they want. It's like they can get power in their life. They look at it like like the force from Star Wars, okay? And it's like, I can have power, I can heal people, I can prophesy, I can do all these miraculous things, right? Uh, You know, I can make that rash go away, okay? I can do all these powerful things. But the problem is in this ditch, it's like the Holy Spirit is all there is. And their Trinity is Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. There's no sovereign Lord God. There's no sacrificial Jesus who's my Lord, who I have to follow. And they pursue these gifts, not for God's kingdom, but for their own desires. And and also another thing to know about this ditch is a word of prophecy and and, uh, speaking a word to people in this ditch, many times they can get so extreme that it, it surpasses scripture as far as authority. All right, it trumps scripture. This, and this is wrong, okay? Now, both these ditches are bad, okay? But here's the thing, New Heights. There is a large, wide middle of the road, okay? And we need to stay in the middle of the road. And there are people at New Heights, praise God, who've picked a lane, okay? This is what I think the Holy Spirit does. This is what I think the Holy Spirit does. But you know what's really cool and what's beautiful about that is we can get along. It's awesome to see us Get along under those things. And here's what's important. There are a lot of things in, in Christianity that are worth fighting for, okay? The inerrancy of scripture, the gospel, those are things that we cannot let go of. But there are a lot of things where there's room, okay? It's okay. And so we can see that on staff. And what does that mean for new heights that we can get along in those things? And Christians spend way too much time fighting about things that they should not be fighting about. Okay, and that's why we want to be unity in the, in the uh, major things and we'll have flex in the small things. So get to know the Holy Spirit. Find out the middle of the road. Get to know God who's living inside of you. What does that mean? Well, you can't go wrong with God's word. What does God's word say? And this slide is so ridiculous. I put every bullet point of 50 things. You can't read it, okay? So I put it in your handout, okay? I'm not gonna read all these, but listen to just a few things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It convicts the whole world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit guides each one of us to truth. It leads us to Christ. It regenerates our dead souls. The Holy Spirit takes your dead soul and brings it back to life. Praise God, can I get an amen? Is that not amazing? The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. It leads us to be more like Jesus every day. It fills us up. It teaches us how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will teach you to pray. It says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when you don't even know what to pray. The Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit is incredible, okay? I encourage you later, get this, take this hand out home. Study, what does the Spirit do in your life? 
follow it, get to know God. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us with incredible things. And you get to see it in Acts. What happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon them in that upper room. They walk out filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do they start doing? They start speaking in tongues. Now, when you read the word tongues in Acts, it means languages. That's what we're talking about. Now, why would they go out and speak all these different languages? Because it says in Acts 2, there are Jews from all over the world in Jerusalem. Look at this map. It shows you where all of these guys were from. There are Jews from Iran. There are Jews from Rome. There are Jews from North Africa, from Egypt, from Turkey. They were all in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and they got to hear the gospel in their very own heart language words. The Holy Spirit, I don't know how it works. It opened people's frontal lobes and gave them this miraculous power to preach the gospel in a language they did not know. God is starting off the church with a bang. This is dunamis. This is power. The Holy Spirit expands. And not only does God equip them with what to say, but it gives them so much power. See, Peter, let's talk about Peter for a second, right? Whenever we see Peter, is he known as an eloquent speaker? No. No, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. Jesus is like, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter's like, wash my whole body. You know, like (laughs) Peter never gets it right. But once he's filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens? He preaches a sermon and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ and are baptized. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit brings power and works through us. Not only does he give us the words to say, but he gives us the power to know what to say. It's amazing. God, um, the Holy Spirit falling on the earth is incredible. And the church explodes. In Acts 2.42, we get to see this like honeymoon period of the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had need. And day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. New Heights, this is where we come from. This is why we model as Christians, as followers of Jesus, so much of what we do, because this is what the Holy Spirit led them to do. What do they do? They meet in homes. They meet in small groups. This is why we have community groups, New Heights. You cannot be a part of New Heights and not be in a small group, okay? I may get in trouble for that later, but I'm serious. Like, you cannot obey the commands of the New Testament to love one another, serve one another, honor one another, pray for one another. There's dozens of these one another commands. You cannot do that if you're not in a small group. You need to know Sunday morning is not enough. That's what, they lived in community in small groups. They broke bread together. They prayed with one another. That's why we do that, okay? That's why we do that. They give to people who had need. That's why we give to New Heights. Not only do you support the staff of New Heights and the, the costs for this and our office and everything else, but you support New Heights giving philanthropy and supporting people who are in need, people who are destitute. We get calls every week from people who need help. That's why we give. We distribute to those who have need. Not only that, but we give to support the gospel going all across Fayetteville, Northwest Arkansas, and to the ends of the earth. And so we get to come together to do that as we follow in their example. 
and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's not enough to just be in a small group. We come together on Sunday. Why? So that the authority of God's word can speak into our lives. So that the elders and the leaders of New Heights, who are the authority that God has given us, can teach into our lives. And we need to be under that. That's why we come together. And so you get to see all these things. They devote themselves to prayer. New Heights is the most prayerful church I've ever been a part of, okay? These are the things, this is where we come from. This is the 23 of me in scripture, remember that? These are all the things that God is doing. And so I wish I had like three more hours to go through the rest of the book of Acts, okay? But I do not. We're talking about doing an equip class in the spring, but what we wanna do now is I'm gonna use three verses to sum up the rest of the book, okay? Three verses. The first verse is Acts 1.8, the next verse is Acts 9, 15, and 16. And then the last one is Acts 16, 10. We already talked about Acts 1, 8, right? This is Jesus. Holy Spirit will come upon you in power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This isn't just a prophecy, a command of Jesus. He outlines the whole book of Acts. In chapters one through seven, they reach Jerusalem. The church expands to Jerusalem. In Acts eight through nine, Judea, Samaria. 10 through 28, they go to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem one through seven, they're, uh, Acts eight through nine, they're in Judea and Samaria. And 10 through 28, they're to the ends of the earth. So in, in Acts one through seven, the Holy Spirit, like I said, 3,000 people are baptized that day of Pentecost. The honeymoon of the church, the church grows every single day. And the church at this point is made almost entirely of Jewish people. In Acts 8, a persecution breaks out. The very first martyr is killed as a follower of Jesus. That's Stephen. He's stoned to death. And guys, this begins the way of Jesus. If you're going to follow him, Jesus said, in this life, you will have suffering. The world hates you, and it's going to hate you because it hated me first. And so we get to see persecution happen through the book. And it, the church goes radically. The persecution scatters the church all throughout Judea and Samaria in chapter 8. It's incredible. And then in Acts 10 is the game changer. Acts 10 is the reason you and I are followers of Jesus. Did you know that? Acts 10 is incredible because what happens is Peter gets this vision and then this Jewish, uh, uh, sorry, Roman uh, military leader invites him to his house. Peter's not supposed to go there. He goes, he preached the gospel. And what happens? He says, this, Peter said, uh, he says, the same Holy Spirit that fell on us also fell on the Gentiles. Who am I to stand in God's way? The rest of his Jewish friends are like, why are you going to a Gentile's house? And he's like, hey, the Holy Spirit fell on them too. They're a part of the kingdom. It's incredible. And so the church expands all over. The second verse that summarized the rest of the book is Acts 9, 15 through 16. We get to read about this guy named Paul. Paul was the lead persecutor of church. He was throwing Christians in jail. He hated the church. He runs into Jesus on a road, radically changes his life. He commits his life to following Jesus. And at that moment, he says this, Acts 9, 15. He is the chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and to kings and all the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Man, this sums up Paul's life. This is exactly what he did. He would go into a town. He'd reach the Jews first. He'd preach the gospel. Some would believe, some would not. And then he'd go to the Gentiles. He said he'd preach before kings. He spoke before King Agrippa and King Herod in the ancient world. He goes to synagogues and then Gentiles. And he does three different missionary journeys through the rest of the book of Acts to reach uh, the known world. And in Romans 15, 20, I think this is, sums up 
Paul's life verse, okay? He said, it is my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. At least I build on another man's foundation. Paul says, where have they never heard of Jesus? That's where I'm going. That's where I'm gonna be a witness. And that's what he did for the rest of the book. We get to see this pattern uh, happen throughout the rest of, of Acts. He goes into a city, he proclaims the gospel. People believe the good news and follow Jesus. Uh, but then people resist him either for political reasons or financial reasons or whatever, they persecute the church, the Christians. And so what they do, they're faithful, they persevere, and God redeems and brings restoration. You see this all throughout the book of Acts. This cycle just repeats. Every town that Paul goes, every place that he lands, this is what happens. The last verse that sums up the rest of the story is Acts 16.10. Up to this point, remember, Dr. Luke is recording all these things from all these interviews and he's writing down, they went here and then they went to this town and then they proclaimed the good news to these people. And then something happens in Acts 16, 10. His pronoun changes. He says, they, they, they. Then he says, then we, then we. So when Paul saw the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia. Do you see what happened at that point? Luke joins the story. He steps into the story and he's a witness joining Paul. And that is really the point of the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts is really just an invitation for you to join God's story. Because Jesus said, we're going to the ends of the earth. And in Acts 28, at the end of the book, we got to Rome, okay? The church is still going, even today. So let me ask you, have you joined the story? Are you joining God's story? When you hear about the church, is it they, what they're doing, they're making disciples? Or is it we? What we at New Heights are doing to reach Northwest Arkansas, what we are doing as the global church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts, through the power of the Spirit, invites you to join God's story. And guys, listen, God wants you to be a witness wherever you are, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school. God wants you to tell other people about what he has done in your life. But there are places in the world where there are no Christian neighbors and there are no Christian roommates. There's no Christian school. There's no, there's no way for them to hear the gospel. And that's why we as New Heights send out people to go, like Paul said, where the gospel has not been named. That's why we send out workers to the ends of the earth because we're obeying what Christ commanded us to do. Each one of these flags around the room represents a country where New Heights has cross-cultural global workers. And last year was an incredible thing happened. Jack and Leo Crabtree, this is their family. Uh, they, after college, they spent four years getting trained, learning linguistics and Bible translation and all sorts of stuff. And seven years ago, they went to Papua New Guinea, an island in Southeast Asia. They spent seven years among those people, learning their language and culture, creating an alphabet for their unwritten language, starting to translate the Bible. And last year in 2020, in the middle of July, they preached the gospel to the ends of the earth, to a place the gospel had never been. And the church was birthed in the Wantakia peoples. And so John, uh, Jack, sorry, Jack, record, before he left to come to the United States, he filmed these brand new baby believers and said, what would you like to say to the church in America? And this is what they said. Hi, Nimi. America, Mare, Krokuno, Malamigi. 
Praise God, isn't that awesome? Hey, Jack and Lael are here. Would you stand up, please? The Crabtrees are here.
Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to see that video and, and see the crab trees and think, I can't do that. You see, it's God who gives you the power to do anything. And he wants to use you. And we all have a different journey. We all have different works that God has planned for us to do. But for those people, as they're sent out from our church, they need our encouragement, okay? So we're gonna take the next few minutes to be a good sending church and bless and honor our workers. So we've given each one of you this little packet, okay? And we're all gonna do this right now. Grab this thing, okay? We gave you a note card and an envelope, all right? We gave you a worker that you can encourage, but if you're like, no, 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 I got my best friend overseas, I'm go- I wanna write a note to them, that's fine, okay? This is if you don't know who to give to. And if you're trying to remember someone, you don't know who they are, flip it over. We've got all our workers on the back and where they are, okay? And uh, if you wanna learn more, if you're at home right now, we want you to do this too, okay? In your living room, wherever you are, scan this and you can send an email right now, send an encouragement note to our workers. And so we wanna encourage them all right now and pray for them. Hey, you don't have to know these people. Just say, hey, I'm in Fayetteville right now, a part of New Heights and we love you and we're praying for you. And this will mean the world to our workers. We're gonna take two minutes just to write a note and encourage them. And I'll come back and close this in just a second. notes at the global table in the back and hey if you want to if you're considering man could God use me as a witness to the ends of the earth we want to send you 
But there's a process at New Heights. And step one is to fill out an application. And we have applications at the back, at the, at the go table, where there's a globe back there if you want to learn more. And there's one final announcement before we finish this, okay? Like in Pentecost, the world is coming to us. And regardless of, you know, politically, whatever you think happened in Afghanistan, the reality is there are, I, I just found this out recently, and Governor Hutchinson has announced this, there are hundreds of Afghan refugees that are coming to Northwest Arkansas. And Canopy, the NGO that is settling these people, they desperately need help. There are hundreds of families coming in the next couple months. And in fact, there are two families coming in two weeks and they don't have any more stuff for them, okay? Nellie Beal is in the back with Canopy. If you wanna help, there's this list, okay? These are things that they need. And if you could help them with that, if you could provide one of these things, we wanna welcome these refugees. And man, Lord willing, they'd come to know Jesus Christ, right? But we're going to love him anyway because Jesus tells us to welcome the foreigner among us. So that's what we're going to do. And so if you want to uh, learn more, you can go in the back. There's more encouragement notes. Uh, you can go to the global table to talk any global missions things. I'll be back there. New Heights, you are the witnesses to go to the ends of the earth, to your hometown all around the globe. And God has given you his Holy Spirit to equip you with everything you need. And he wants to use you. Will you join God's story? Father God, we ask right now that you would fill us with your spirit to a greater level, that we would trust you living inside us more than we ever have. Father, would you sanctify us as your Holy Spirit promised it would? Would you help us to see and know your truth? God, we want to be used by you. Thank you for letting us join your story. Thank you for letting the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your grand design. You didn't have to use us, but you're a good dad and you want to do it with us. God, give us the courage to be bold so that this gospel would go to the ends of the earth. Father, we lift up all of our workers right now, all around the globe, all of our missionary families that are going to take your gospel where it's never been named. Father, would you bless them and encourage them? Would you let them know that there's a gym full of people in Fayetteville, Arkansas, who love them and want to encourage them? God, thank you for letting us be a church that is involved in your great commission to reach the ends of the earth. Father, we pray this in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen.